0: views on Everton Football Club, hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Ryan today in a celebratory mood as Everton emerged victorious with a 3-0 win over Crystal Palace at Goodison Park. It is Everton's sixth win in their last 12 home games, and they've taken points from nine of their last 12, three draws, three losses, after winning just two of ten before that. We'll get into the excitement, arguably the best win of the season thus far, and we have a lot to discuss before we do. Just a reminder that if you enjoy the show, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. If you want to follow us on social media, you can follow us at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our Discord, invite.gg slash ATP. We had some wonderful discussion going on there this morning. You can find all of the links in the description of this episode. Now, without further ado, Ryan, instant match reactions from our Friends and listeners on Twitter, I'll defer to you and go. You can go first. I'm
0: referring to one of
1: my Northern
0: Virginia brethren, um, Sludvig in the house. Um, Comfortable win and a good performance. When was the last time we could say that? Scoring multiple goals in a single match is so refreshing. And yes, James, I feel refreshed.
1: I do as well. It is is certainly nice when we're not uh, clenched up very tense in the last 10 minutes and can just sort of coast to victory which we did today it's fun my, it, it's fun man winning is fun imagine that it's kind of crazy right i went it's with better Matt. than losing you know like sorry it's bull durham it's the, i just this, got movies in my head these days man this what, is I the unforgiven last time winning better than losing we have uh the level of analysis we bring on this show is just hey, unparalleled look, you just need to take them one day at a time and the good lord willing
0: things will work out continue
1: my instant match reaction I went with Matt S. at Matt Stan 11. Really happy Awobi had the freedom higher up, and I think that's the difference. Onana and Ghana also complement each other so well. Also, love this team's new culture. Instead of just Sheamus, we're seeing everyone defend each other. And this match got very testy at times, and it was great to see the lads sticking up for one another, getting in the thick of it, not afraid to push some bodies around and annoy and anger some of the Palace players. As far as score predictions, we had no one predict the score correctly. Uh, Some optimistic people predicted the win. I did not, but none predicted a emphatic 3-0 victory. So let's wind the clock back, Ryan, as we usually do, and get into the lineups that dropped one hour before kickoff palace first as we typically do
0: i think the palace changes although not many in number were massive and i think chick Decore le- leaving that team is is so big for them i don't know if people know him as a player but i watched him closely it lends a lot and loved him so much in terms of his ability to transition defense into offense and carry the ball and he can almost do it by himself and you you don't need to go back and support your team and it's a big drop-off. I mean, from an athleticism standpoint, he's not the most disciplined defensively, but he's aggressive and athletic. And there was just this massive hole in midfield. We'll get to that in a second. Um, but yeah, I, I Palace is a decent side too. And and A.U. was the other change came in for Schlupp. I think that just makes the midfield even more unbalanced, really. So I'm not sure what Patrick Vieira was thinking. They certainly came out aggressive. They were fouling a lot. Some of it was tactical. We'll get to the refereeing in a little bit. I think some people had interesting reactions. I know I did when they saw the Everton lineup seemed like it reeked of more of the same, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I think obviously the last couple matches, last three matches really have gone rather horribly. And so people were kind of expecting, anticipating Frank to try to switch things up. And he did, but not exactly with the personnel that he chose an unchanged lineup from the diabolical team that performed with zero shots on target midweek. That said, there were some interesting changes in the midfield tactically, if not with the personnel. And again, I think you're right, Ryan on the decor shout. I did see a number of palace fans basically saying what a drop off it is like without him. We have no balance in midfield and no ability to transition play. Um, So that was a big miss. But that said, palace have really only lost to city Chelsea and Arsenal this year. They've gotten some decent results, some decent draws, So though it's not their strongest lineup, they still have some good players and and really have kind of reinvented their side in the last few windows in terms of lowering the age profile, bringing in some young prospects. Um, But enough about Palace for the time being. Let's talk about Everton's tactical setup on the day. It looked
0: like the 4-3-3 that we've seen recently in terms of players and roles. Awobi was right center mid, and we've talked incessantly on this podcast, me in particular, how I can't stand that. Gordon and Gray together. I hate that combo. But I think Frank had three important aspects of, of today that made made a big difference. So number one, the way he set up the right side. I think the idea of leaving Coleman isolated, not feeling pressure to get forward and deal with Zaha. And I think Gordon, in particular, staying wide, not cutting inside and his ability and pace and work to move back and forth. I think that allowed the half space to open up for Alex Iwobi. But I think the other number two is Alex Awobi having tons of freedom. If we notice how often we tack to the left, we'll get to those numbers in a second. And how often Alex just flowed all the way to the left side, ultimately in that left half space, despite lining up on the right side. And I think the key to that, too, number three was Onana staying disciplined. He let the game come to him today. He was aggressive in terms of winning the ball. But. You didn't see him making all these crazy, mazy runs. He didn't feel like he was forcing it. He he made one or two runs when it merited um, and was composed on the ball. And God, he was tackling. And that's the thing. If he's in good position, he can win tackles. It's not reckless at that point. He he just doesn't take the best angle sometimes. He's not positionally perfect. Ghana was very disciplined today, too. I think that helped. But Onana was more disciplined. Let the game come to him. And I thought he was outstanding as well. I think a lot of people saw it this way i like nick's comment here
1: a lot james yeah, yeah nick weinstein replied to our tweet and said great bounce back was concerned with the same 11 as midweek but setup was key onana's best game for me solid in the back dcl is a handsome man three points he is indeed a handsome man and onana was <clears throat> absolutely amazing today in my opinion i think you're right ryan on those three observations and i think that they're, they're really good ones particularly very early on we saw us Kind of going down the right hand side or left hand side, and then switching to Gordon in tons of space, and getting those one v one matchups that he wasn't able to find, or really neither of our wide players were able to find against Newcastle, um, and, and that led to some very positive, promising signs early on in the match, as far as you know the fact we were able to get uh, get some actual shots off early on. Palace plays pretty tight too.
0: They throw a lot of people at the ball. So you could tell we were trying to loosen them up a little bit with some diagonals early from the back line. Didn't really need to do that much of the rest of the way, but the ball movement was great side to side. I mean, I think that was the most important thing. And again, if you don't have the midfield discipline and legs as they didn't, and it was open enough, you could play through it. And look, Palace's focus was getting Zaha the ball. And I think it was overly that, that, I mean, there were 49% of the time they, they attacked on the left side. Uh, playing through Eze, who kind of was floating into that left half space and running with the ball. And, you know, I, what you saw was a lot of touches on the left side. Mitchell had 84 touches, second most on, on their team. Elise was very isolated on the right side. And when he's like that, he likes to pass, he likes to serve the ball. He is good at dribbling, but he's so one footed. And if he doesn't have the support, you can neutralize him a little bit. He generated a couple shots, but he, he, no key passes. So, we made them very one-sided and they kept doing it. Look, the key matchup here was Coleman versus
1: Zaha, right? With with a little support from Ghana and Gordon. But, I mean, Zaha was not effective today. No, he was not. I mean, he ended with 11 turnovers and one shot. And when he is the guy who you're basically force feeding and hoping to create something, you can make him turn the ball over that much and produce effectively nothing. On the offensive end, it's going to bode well, and it did for Everton today. We'll get into some of the numbers on Zaha's performances against Seamus Coleman later on in the episode. But Everton's attack predominantly left, I think, 47% of the time down the left-hand side. And as you mentioned, Ryan, that was in large part because Alex Wobey was given the freedom to slide over to overload, and we were able to attack Joel Ward and, and Jordan Ayu. Jordan Ayu can't stand him. Can't believe he didn't get sent off today, but uh, we'll talk about the horrible refereeing as we tend to do because it never fails to frustrate. And I I think the key to that is, too, there's no rapid counterattacking threat
0: from that side. Um, Ward isn't going to bounce forward and A.U. is not an answer in midfield. I'm not sure why that's even a thought from Patrick Vieira. I I think the key was, look, Goodison makes a big difference. We're used to playing Goodison. The crowd was awesome. They were up for it and we gave them reason to be up for it. I think DeCory's a massive loss for them. So I think partially it was on the opponent. They didn't play great. But look, 22% of the time was in the home third. And that's the key to the game. Even if the numbers weren't overwhelming at times, besides the score line, we kept the ball in their half most of the time. I mean, our defenders didn't have as much to do. And we had big chances, even if we weren't creating them in volume. And, and that's why I think the match felt like, even if the numbers didn't necessarily jump out at you, the obvious ones at least, why it felt like it was so much more one-sided than maybe a casual observer might think. Either way, um, let's take a quick break, James. Before we get into it, we'll get right back to you after we hear from
1: our sponsors. All right, folks, we are back and let's get into the timeline, Ryan, because this was an exciting timeline and there's plenty to discuss, plenty to celebrate and plenty to be outraged at. But we'll start things off in the 11th minute. Actually, I want to take a couple minutes before the 11th and the 9th when we got our first shot on goal in almost two matches, two full matches, which was great. And then we follow that up just two minutes later. What, what Wait, you were you going to say? Go well, I was going to
0: say, did, did people do the fake? You know how you're in an NHL game and like the goalie finally makes a save and everyone applauds yeah, or like okay. you haven't had a shot on goal and someone just lobs one in and the goalie d- deflects it and everyone cheers like I it's like one of my favorite community based kind of moments. I didn't hear an uproar uh, on it or anything but yeah that was it's like hey we could shoot the
1: ball <laughs> amazing. In the first 10 minutes we're getting a shot on on target what an amazing sight. And then in the 11th minute, Everton take the lead through Dominic Calvert-Lewin, who firstly does really well to win the ball back after losing possession. Nicks it off the defender, gets it to Owobi, Owobi goes squared to him. Dominic Calvert-Lewin takes a sleek little touch around. The defender pushes him to the ground and very softly goes to the ground, but an unreal move by DCL and then buries it in the back of the net. Everton up 1-0 and Dominic Calvert-Lewin back to his scoring ways. What did we say last episode? That much
0: like last year, it took Dom a little bit of time to get his timing back. I mean, his first touch today. Oh, my heavens. I mean, some of the long balls off his feet, subtle touches. So so I will say this, and I noticed this in the training session when they were in D.C., um, his dribbling and his ability to seal players and go by them, I thought it had been dramatically improved. But we just haven't seen him much. Number one, we haven't seen him get good service on the ground much. But we haven't seen his ability to turn and take people on. He just hasn't had the opportunities and he's been hurt. So the fact that he rolled one and tapped one by and then finished was great. Good square ball by a Wobi, but I mean, Dominic Calvert-Lewin makes this. And the bottom line is people complain about his inability to score from distance, which I think is completely pointless and stupid. But his issue in terms of being able to dribble and beat people and his size and speed indicates he can do it. But he doesn't really roll people like Lukaku would or anything. I'm telling you, man, this was a really good moment for him in a great match, and I was happy to see it. And if he can start to really display those skills that I think he's worked very hard on, I mean, the sky's the limit for this guy. People forget. I mean, he was six, He had 16 open play goals to, in his last full season, second in the entire league. And people are like, ah, we need a new striker. Like, what? I don't understand that logic at all, man. So it was good to see for sure. Um, I think it was wise not to let him go 92 when it was already in there. Um, And then we have just, I think we're playing pretty well at this point, maybe not getting massive chances. And there is this bizarre sequence, James, in the 33rd, where you have a collision, you have head injuries. Referee Simon Hooper, is that who it is today? Simon Hooper blows the whistle. Fair, right? No problem. The Problem is the ball has trickled out to the edge of the 18. Gordon has scooped it up and he's going to get it. And is in a really, really dangerous place, which unfortunate bad break. You blow the whistle. And then magically we come. There's a huge argument. And you could tell Tarkowski runs up and is just going crazy. Somehow Palace, they drop the ball for Palace and they just keep it. Like,
1: (laughs) I I, I honestly couldn't believe it. It was like it was like Hooper forgot or didn't even know what was going on so he's like okay well by default let's just bring it out to midfield and just just drop the ball i guess because i i don't know what else to do
0: and then so he doesn't he drops the ball right to their keeper he plays it out and they keep it i just could not believe it i'm like even palace you would think would have acknowledged it taking the ball and, and hoofed it back to everton no right. no i mean i no, once didn't. that was happening i was like boy these palace guys are a they were uh they were an
1: interesting bunch today were they not they were. They were certainly very feisty. And then a minute later, basically the same exact thing happens. Pickford hoofs it and Palace again gets to keep it inexplicably. I, this one, maybe I, I get it if they thought Pickford was
0: look like Pickford was kind of clearing the ball away. And that's what Jordan Pickford was so angry about. You could Pickford get very close to getting a card here. He did. He yeah. was not happy. But in his defense, it's the same situation. You blow it for a head injury and they've got, even if they get to keep the ball, why do they get to keep the ball? We don't. Right. And it was it's just, it's totally inconsistent. And that's a lot of how it was. There were fouls called. They were inconsistent. The lack of cards. I, I mean, I just every week though, James, right? It's every week. You're just kind of guessing week, man. It, it is, but, but look, we got to halftime. I thought it was a very good half of football for us. And, and you don't normally see dramatically one-sided matches at halftime. You know, the numbers don't lend itself to that. Eventually, teams wear down and things open and there's more scoring in second halves. But look, the XG difference, I I, I think, was, what, 0.5 to 0.18 on understatins, comparable to other places. Shots were only 5 to 4. We had slightly
1: more possession, but I mean, didn't you feel like it was a more dominant half than that? Yeah, it really did, because even though the shots were even Palace generated very little we had the ball in their third most of the match and they even their shots that they got that were on target never really had a realistic chance of going in Jordan Pickford was all over them and so we certainly had the better run of play we were very physical when needed we were smart we were possessing well we were finding space and so it just felt like things were clicking all around for Everton and Palace were Struggling, despite the the stats not really bearing that out. I guess the better way to say it is the right stats bear it out. I mean
0: that's the sure. thing that always happens. People are always like, oh, stats can mean anything. They're totally misleading. No, they're not. Um, you just need to find the important ones because the difference in the game was just captured in other measures, and that's that's fine. I mean they're perfect. But yeah, I just had this feeling like that we, if if we could get them open up a, a bit in the second, hit them off the counter. I think we we might get a couple by them. I will say this, though. Palace started off very well in the second half, and we've talked about our bad starts in the second half. Before we get into that details, how about this moment, the 48th minute? I mean, if there was ever a moment to really summarize the efforts of Seamus Coleman, I thought this was it.
1: Yeah, this is an unbelievable recovery and sliding tackle on Zaha. Just gets his studs on the ball, puts it out of bounds. Um, It was a giveaway because Ghana... Well, Tarkowski misplaces the pass to Ghana, puts him in a tough spot. It's kind of soft, right? I mean, that's,
0: I think, the sequence.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that was, you know, we've seen a lot of times those individual moments where we slip up and just give the opposition something far too easy. Seamus Coleman was having none of that today, and it was just a great sliding tackle. And as you said, Ryan, kind of sums up how great he was at right back for us on the day. He's fantastic, but... You know, it didn't, it made the difference too. the efforts and the tackling at
0: this point. Cause palace had all the momentum. I mean, they up until their subs and subsequently our goal, which we'll get to, um, 68.2% possession for palace, 94% pass success. And you could tell they were doing that intentionally. They were stepping back. They put more numbers left, but they were more behind the ball. They weren't as stretched out. And I think that worked for them. Three to one in shots, three corners to zero for Everton. But look, Everton were fighting, and, and maybe it's a good as an effect, right? Nine to one in tackles during that stretch. Seamus had threes. Zaha had three turnovers. Those were them. I mean that that was really the difference in the game. Onana with two, and you thought that one of those turnovers, we we looked a little bit dangerous at time. If Damari Gray would ever get his freaking head up. Oh my God, James. It's just so frustrating. So many times today, he'd get the ball and pull back when he didn't need to, and he could have maybe sent a cross in. But anyway, um, so for me, I, I could tell Palace are starting to control the match. I was a little concerned, but I thought, man, these guys are open, and-, and I don't think their back line is especially quick. And I thought Mitchell was susceptible down that side. So Palace makes these subs in the si- 62nd um schlub coming on made sense i think but metetta for olise i think changed their dynamic a lot and i i just i think it made it less dynamic i think that it made them less fluid it put them more guys up top bigger bodies and I, I don't think it helped them i think it made it easier for us to kind of get the ball and control it a little bit before we went forward although i can't necessarily say that the goal in the 63rd which this was the big one um, was really a byproduct of that it was more of a counter but what fantastic ball movement on this play, really. I mean, the unselfishness um, was something, although I kind of wonder
1: why the heck with Palace's guys, were they that far up that they couldn't get back and help at this point? Yeah, it was it was a weird one. And just on like the, the shifts in momentum, I think, I think you're right. And look, this is an Everton team. I don't know if we're capable of really do- lit- truly dominating for 90 minutes, but in those spells of play where the opposition gains a foothold, it's all about weathering the storm. And I think we did that quite well over that period. And then the subs, you know, Vieira wants to push for the goal, maybe get some fresh legs in there, but I agree. It did disrupt them and it didn't, it kind of derailed everything when we scored just a minute later, which was, I mean, th- I, I watching it, the ball movement basically go back to front brilliantly. It ends up eventually. Um, well, well, it starts with Dominic Calvert-Lewin coming back, playing it to a Woby, Grays over, but he runs with it, cuts it back. Goes to Onana and then Mikulenko in kind of acres of space wide, fires the shot. Guaita gets down, makes the save, but it's soft. He doesn't hit it back out far enough, and Anthony Gordon is just there to collect the the tap in goal, which right place, right time. Can't complain about it. Ruled offside originally, which was comical because I don't really know if the linesman was out of position, if he was in position, what he saw to think that was offside. He was miles onside. Great positioning and timing on the run and anticipation. Of the half, the save from Guaita, but basically putting it on a platter for Gordon to tap in where he goes with the plugging his ears celebration, not listening to the haters. And uh, great to see Anthony, right place, right time. Onana's in the right place as well. I think everyone really is
0: Gray Finally gets his head up and moves the ball. Still took too long to do it, but it mattered. And look, Onana, nothing great in the past to Mikalinko. Mikalinko, not the best touch to his left, but it's a great shot. I mean, he hits it low. He hits it hard away almost like hockey style you know off the low pads the left and the rebound comes in and more credit to anthony gordon deserves a lot of credit his his work rate today his ability to get up and down the pitch was was fantastic and it was great to see him score he had a great shot earlier too with the left foot i thought at one point that was pretty clever and it's nice to see him get on the score sheet it's been a bit and look you would think all right we're up two nil Dangerous lead, right? Palace is gonna threaten. And they really they really didn't. I mean, the numbers here, James, I I
1: think are pretty overwhelming here. I mean, you'd think they'd have 70% of the ball and a ton of shots, but it wasn't that case at all. Yeah, we didn't have to batten down the hatches necessarily because Palace just really were not very good and didn't respond well. Apparently, uh, two nil leads are only dangerous when it's palace who have the lead and we're uh, fighting relegation or newcastle in the 90s uh yeah.
0: so that's every t- you know i think about that all the time now if we're up two nil i always think of that stupid newcastle match anyway um <laughs> but yeah look they only had 54 percent of the ball it wasn't that impressive they had three shots none on target we had three shots on target in that same stretch so to me that's a very good example of us weathering the storm well and, and and seemingly being disciplined and organized and it's not necessarily a hallmark of Frank's tenure to be disciplined defensively behind the ball, but we did it and it was good to see and I, I think the players relaxed and were in the right positions at least defending in a way. Um, I would be remiss not to bring up this the I don't know what you call this the melee uh in the sixty seventh
1: minute uh what well, my comment here in the in the doc is. Palace mad. (laughs) They were. They were indeed very mad. And this was, I believe, what was frustrated here, right? I mean, they got to be just frustrated. Yeah, but the the elbow from Zaha on Gordon in the back of the neck, they really didn't show it enough on the broadcast, but it looked truly nasty. Um, I, you know, some were saying it's a red. I initially, again, they only showed it like once. And I was like, I mean, he goes up, he's got his elbow up, full speed into the back of the neck of another player. That's arguably violent conduct. Ultimately, just results in, I think, a triple yellow for Palace and somehow James Tarkowski in the mix also gets carded. Um, bizarre one. Again, it felt like the referee was Hooper was a little lax in terms of disciplining Palace. I mean, also Jordan IU at this point had so many fouls. I don't know how he wasn't in the book. It was a little bit ridiculous. and th- And that, you know, continued even further just a few minutes later. But Tarkowski laughing, I mean, you love it's what he best. brings to the team in terms of personality. Uh, it's unbelievable. It's something it's the most infuriating thing
0: you can do to an opponent. And look, as much as I talk about possession and free flowing football, I, I know what type of player I was and I wasn't that player. I was the Tarkowski in the back, the big guy who just would do things to totally infuriate opponents. And I can tell you right now, there's nothing worse to set someone off when you go in there, shove a couple people, and then they try and come at you, and you laugh in their face. You just laugh at them. He's like, "What are you going to do about it?" Ha 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 ha. And they were mad, and uh, he totally had them spun up. And they were, and and to be perfectly honest, so Palace was reckless all match. They weren't disciplined, and I think it cost them at times. There were a lot of set pieces at times in the match where they could have gotten momentum and, and they fouled. And I, I think had the official been even better, I think it would have been even more effective for us. Um, interesting sub in the 73rd. Gray doesn't always last 90 minutes. And when we're up, his defensive contributions are never fantastic when we're down. I get it. Cause he, he can make something out of nothing. Even if he hasn't done much this year, Dwight McNeil comes on who I still think I'd like to see him starting in a combination of one of Gray and Gordon rather than both. Um, And then, ironically, (laughs) A.U. finally gets subbed off here after only having two fouls, which was wrong because he had more than that. There was one throw in they gave us, even though it was just an absolute hatchet job
1: and no yellow. Of course, Um, David Taylor has a pretty good quote here. Yeah. David Taylor says, I use a thug who got away with murder the entire match. Exhibit 5,622. That PL refs are truly useless. And that Uh. I mean, that might be a low number. 5,600 seems I think we're pushing like ten a maybe <laughs> this week maybe yeah right uh, exactly I, you
0: know, I looked it up a who should have gotten sent off last time we played I feel like is that the game where he just totally tackled from behind just awful tackled. it was yeah he's had yeah, four yeah. red cards actually in in his career which is which for a guy that's you know an attacking that's pretty reckless um I, our subs counter to after this I liked because I feel like our personnel now when we have the lead we can stack the midfield a little bit and make ourselves physical and and garner coming in and the moped coming in i think was a smart move because dom hadn't played that much and a little concerned about onana's injury i mean he got whacked a bunch of times he always does it seems like that's part of him if he's being combative it didn't look too bad but um another terrible tackle in the 80th by the way mateta's yellow late tackle just ridiculous um but i loved how he capped this sucker off in style in the 84th and this was this is a heck of
1: a goal, James. I mean, it's unbelievable from Dwight McNeil. He does most of the work, and then Awobi just adds that little bit of flair at the end. McNeil dances through the Palace defense, beats a couple guys, lays it off to Awobi, who just the awareness to just light back heel on that to McNeil on his left foot, smashes it home, or I guess just kind of slides it home. He doesn't even really have to hit it all that hard. And we're away and flying with a 3 0 win. Uh, Mike at Wombat underscore combat said intuitively knew McNeil couldn't use his right foot regarding Alex Awobi's placement of that pass, which is great uh, and true. But that's OK. Sometimes if your left foot, if you have one foot that's good enough, uh, why do you need two? And to ice it off, um,
0: I, I kind of was interested in the sub, even though the game was over in terms of how they were playing functionally. Decorys and Davies comes in and Decorys playing the six behind davies and and garner which i kind of like if you're chasing the game you got two very combative guys in front of him and he's not the most disciplined but he actually came up at times playing that position at watford i'd like to see him get more of a run um but either way i mean i'm glad he got out there and it was nice to close it off and like we said at the beginning it was nice to just have a solid performance that was not stressful there are a lot of good performances today um you know, James, I'll kick it off, and you've got some numbers that you put together in terms of his history versus Wilfred Zaha. But my, my good, probably my man of the match was Seamus Coleman. Yes, there were some really good performances, but for me, if you can just isolate someone on Zaha, and he had some help, but really not that much six tackles, two clearances. He dribbled well and took care of the ball, too. I mean, 75% passing wasn't a high number, but considering. Whenever he won it, there were so many numbers around him for Palace, so the counter press could have been on. The fact that he was able to release the ball not turn it over one-for-one in long balls was just so important. You can't underestimate that effort on the defensive end and the composure to not give it away to give them a counter goal. Um, but, But this isn't the first time he's done well against Zaha.
1: No, it's not. And and early on I was commenting in the Discord about how Coleman, you know, I I felt like he's historically kind of just shut down Zaha every time they've gone against one another. And so post match I went back and just looked at some of the numbers since twenty eighteen when Coleman has matched up against Zaha, and they're they're pretty comprehensive. I think Zaha, if you exclude the four 0 cup defeat last year, Zaha has like one assist in six or seven appearances. In 18, he had one shot, three shot created actions. In April 19, 0 for 1 in shots on target, one shot created action. One assist in in February of 2020, one shot. September of 2020, one shot created action, one goal created action, but zero shots on target again. And then in May of last year, one for three in shots on target, no goals, no assists. assists. So Seamus, for Palace, one of Palace's consistent great creators has done an amazing job of just nullifying his presence on the pitch. And I don't know what it is, even in even in his older age, as he walks off into the twilight of his career, he still has that guy's number. And Zaha just has to be so frustrated. This Irish guy just destroying him every time he comes against the Blues. Yeah, and Zaha's big thing is high volume chances, lots of turnovers, but lots of
0: big creative actions. And I mean, you, you see in the history, I mean, only two of the games that he have won more than one SCA. I think in this history, it's. It's impressive, no question about it. Um, But look, I think the midfield was really key today, too. So it was hard to not pick one of the midfielders, which thankfully you jumped on that
1: one. Yeah, I mean, any of them would have been really good contenders. I went with Onana, six tackles, six for six in tackles. In fact, 91% pass accuracy. And in my opinion, what he did today is exactly what we need from him as a compliment to both the Wobi and Ghana and really whoever else he's playing with. He took care of the ball, stayed back a little bit more disciplined and he just supported both of them really well. He was there to clean things up the telescopic legs, making some really impressive sliding tackles. And hopefully the injury, as you say, is nothing serious. The guy just takes knocks like no other, but he always bounces back up, gets a little bit of treatment and then he's back to, to full strength. I like the fact that he kind of jumped
0: into the play when it was merited. He didn't feel pressured. And I know I said that earlier, but I think it was very obvious today. He let the game come to him and did so very well. He, he jumped in there when it was really needed. He had a run earlier that, you know, his game is really possession, keeping the ball, keeping it simple. His passing accuracy is excellent for a guy, especially, which is so rare for a guy that's and. You know, he's so together and his agility is phenomenal for his side. His feet are so good. Just So to see someone be that technically gifted in terms of accuracy, and some of that's getting used to your teammates too. So that's been a while, uh, but every now and then when it's open, he's taking it. You can see the confidence building today and just the heart and the tackles, you know, but look, there are a lot of other guys that are worth mentioning today. Wobey Gordon, Dominic Calverlou, and these are the three. And we, there's some good, good comments, I think, from, our listeners, I mean, the Awobi banter is is pretty funny. There are some really good ones. I think Matt Clevy suggested building a statue of his outside of Bramley. Moore he to did. Lock, the, the the house that Alex Awobi built. Um, Stephen Williams has Alex Awobi dot 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 the end dot dot dot. And then Dan McCardle comes in. This is great at Dan McCardle. His follow up correction, Alex. Woo the end um yeah, that's some good stuff too. we'd be remiss not to mention that Anthony Gordon played a heck of a heck of a match functionally, I mean he was being asked to do
1: a lot today. he was in isolation a lot, and I thought he came through very well. He was excellent, he was excellent, and yeah, i mean it, it's crazy that a with two assists and another amazing performance doesn't get our lead good mention from either of us, but on Anthony Gordon, we had Sean Khan at King Con 225. The press was really effective and was so impressed by Gordon defensively today as he was really up for it. Class performance by the midfield and great to see DCL looking like himself. Not an easy opponent, but Frank outdid Vieira today. And yeah, Gordon just off the ball in particular. I mean, early on, I thought he looked threatening. He had that one shot that you mentioned earlier um dangerous with the ball at his feet was beating a couple guys but off the ball he provided a lot of support he was tracking back he was making some really great tackles and uh, you know we've, we've we've talked about his limitations we've been frustrated with him but today was one of the good gordon days and long may it continue i, I
0: loved the pressure like look it's something that you teach kids at a younger age like max max my son plays out wide often and Teaching him to kind of check your shoulder, see what's behind you before you pick an angle to pressure the defender. And she- and I-, I thought knowing that Seamus, no, we didn't want the Seamus Zaha matchup. Obviously, the more you can prevent him from getting the ball, the better, right? And how often did you see Gordon look, see where Zaha was, and attack from the wide space? instead of angling them wide, which is often probably the more, more typical way to do it. It was conscientious. It was intentional. Kudos to Frank for setting it up that way. But, you know, Gordon put in the effort today to do it. And look, if he's isolated out there, to me, the issue with Anthony Gordon playing inside, you want him to, to get on his right and shoot, but he's not good at separating from players in tight spaces yet. Um, but if you give him some space and the threat is that he can run behind someone, now he's effective. So even when we were overloading the left, Gordon really stayed wide, and how often did we see earlier Woby receiving the ball and sending it straight over to Anthony Gordon, and that just makes all the difference in the world because now you got to honor that guy. It opens up the space in the middle, and we saw that. Um, Dominic Calvert Lewin, though, we've already talked a little bit about him. His first touch was phenomenal today. Um, Dan Thomas at DT eighteen seventy eight held the ball up really well. Boy, did he!
1: Yeah, he absolutely did. I mean, it's great to see him continue to get minutes to stay healthy, and to, you just start to see as he gets back to full strength how badly we've missed him and what he brings to this team the aerial prowess in that first touch proving to be so effective and then creating goals um and, and slotting them home the finishing inside the box going to be immense for us this season if he can keep it up
0: and that help, the hold up play really helped create the first two goals i mean the first yeah. goal was all him but even the second one it starts by him pulling a player out of position playing a quick one touch to alex and owobi sending the ball forward and i mean it makes movement it's hard to judge center forwards i think on tv because they're often out of the picture and so you really want to see how they affect the center back so if gordon is staying staying wide right hopefully keeping mitchell a little bit at bay and a center forward can occupy two center backs you move awobi over to the left side we have numbers and it's so important and they have to honor that because he can run behind he can come back I mean that's the key, you know, m- multiple threats and really getting the center back something something to think about, and he did that well today for seventy odd minutes. Uh, there weren't that many poor performances, but I would be remiss to bring up Damari Gray. You just the decision making seems like it's getting slower and slower for heaven's sakes. And the set pieces were not horrendous, but not great. But but look, he had forty nine touches in seventy two minutes. Maybe he's a little worn out, but we saw a ton of turnovers again, five. Two shots, only one on target. He fouled four times, one for eight on crosses. It's just not, he's fighting it a little bit, isn't he, James? Even like he's dribbling is always a threat. I get it. Um, But it just, the head, look, he's always going to have an issue where he dwells on the ball too much and gets his head down too often. But I think it's getting, I I, I don't know what to do about this. I, I think, I'll tell you what, lesson for other players out there. If his defensive effort was there, I wouldn't be as concerned about it because you can just write it off to every attacking player is going to have some inconsistency sometimes because you're trying to make fluid movements to break people down. But it's just not there for him right now, is it?
1: Yeah, it's not exactly exactly clicking. I did think he was a little bit better today than midweek, but also just lifted by the performances around him. Um, Yeah, the number of times he'll receive defeat and just stand flat footed and kind of look like he might take someone on, but then. Dribble basically away from the support that's coming towards him. He was isolated a little bit. I think sometimes when he receives the ball, he doesn't have a lot of options and that makes things difficult. But, you know, I I didn't choose a bad because I think gray would be maybe the only one you can make an argument for. Everyone else was pretty solid other than the referee, which, you know, we've already hit on enough. Um, Have we? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I, I think so. I mean, there's only so much you can say, but I do think if we reflect on the match as a whole and we reflect on the match midweek, what did we say in our last episode at the end? We said two things that we could do differently to maybe improve the performances. One was pressure more and get more players forward. In other words, get more players forward. We definitely pressured more, especially early on, and that put Palace off of their rhythm. And we were able to, to push more players forward at times as well. So I think that was some and, and also just the midfield having more clearly defined roles. Um, and being a little bit more conservative and knowing what they were doing, help us keep our shape, dominate that area of the pitch better and keep Palace at arm's length for the majority of the match.
0: Goodison crowd deserves a lot. I know it's a difference totally. maker, but yeah, Frank deserves a lot of credit here to come back with the same lineup, but to see how much more purpose they had. And we saw a glimpse of that, like I said, in the beginning of the, of the second half and against Newcastle. Um, it was probably helped by the opponent. And that's what we said up front. We said Goodison plus the opponent are definitely X factors. Yeah, we just looked like we had more purpose, didn't we, James? We looked like when we had the ball, we had an idea what we wanted to do with it. And we saw some better individual performances. You know, when you look kind of the way the match flowed from an XG standpoint, I mean, I think we jumped out ahead and we did well. And Palace kind of had that momentum shift kind of from about the 45th, you know, the second half till about the 60th. And then we just kind of took off and we just, it would have been nice to take a few more chances. So that's a great example. A couple of times he recycled the ball back. Which okay, normally I'd be all in favor of, but I felt like there was opportunities that he passed up. But look, we, our our chances were big. The ones we created were really big chances, and we executed on them. And I thought I thought it was a well a well deserved win. And I just Palace
1: never looked that dangerous. I thought no, they and and the XG bears that out. I mean, you look at <clears throat> Understat has a one point nine three to their .6, and XG philosophy us one point six four to their .84. and really. The XG for us comes off of essentially our three goals. The first one, Dominic Calvert-Lewin shot had a .31 XG. Anthony Gordon's goal was a .79, and then Dwight McNeil's was a .51. Those are three huge chances, and we converted all three. And it's going to be – and Palace, on the other hand, really only had like one or two significant chances XG-wise. They didn't finish. We had the big chances. They came to us, and we buried them. And that's what you need to do to be successful in a game you got to score goals to win
0: i have a feeling the numbers the way the more advanced models do will be lower just because sure you, know, you don't get double credit for the michaelinco and gordon shots i will say this: my favorite part about the analysis that i saw out there is who scored you know how they do those obviously we know it because we use it a lot for our, for our document but they show the strengths of each team you know it's kind yeah. of like natural language language processing stuff their summary for palace uh, parentheses, there was nothing there in parentheses. It said team has no significant strengths. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was savage, you know, totally an savage, right? But you know what? They didn't and uh, other than kicking us a lot, which they did very effectively today. Let's hope Onana's not too banged up. Look, last episode, James, you harped on very much. We got four Premier League matches in a cup match before the World Cup. We need points. This is our stretch to kind of get back there. And, and I, I think we responded well because there was a sense of urgency at this point. But massive three points vaults us to eleventh. Woohoo! Yeah, I know, I know, right? But um, but they're important, and I think every single time this year that we get three points, it, it's cause for celebration, especially to do it a little bit in style today. Um, it was a fun one for sure, and and I just think that midfield construction that we saw today—I hate We'll be right. I absolutely hate it. I wish he would move on anana back to the right and maybe he'll do that when patterson is there but the fact that he let owobi kind of free roam a little bit i thought made a difference but look if the midfield's going to be a strength i think that's kind of what it looks like functionally
1: right yeah yeah 100% i mean you've got to get alex owobi further up and he rewarded that that decision from frank with a couple of assists and just very creative in the final third able to and, and i'm with you i mean this, the second i saw him lining up right i was like Ugh. I was very nervous, but then the first goal goes in. All of a sudden, Alex Wobey's all over the place. And even though his, his strict position might be on the right, the ability to roam is going to be really important. And then just ha- let Onana and Ghana kind of provide that backbone of support for him to be able to roam. And that's huge. And DL Barks has a really, at Everton Barks, has a good comment. And he said, we played through our midfield. And wow, what a massive difference that makes. Midfield is our strength. And today it's shown Onana was superb. Man of the match for me. Agree, DL. Agree wholeheartedly. And a wobe is just something to behold. All-around great effort and best match by Gordon for quite some time. Yeah, Nebula's response is
0: good, too. And his response at Nebula 1979 is agreed. Palace midfield three containing a forward, an attacking mid, plus just one aging natural midfielder. That's a nice way to put it. uh, Helped a bunch, (laughs) though. They were very soft through the middle, but you still have to exploit it. And I think that was uh, the midfield was a big difference. I mean, easy is dangerous a little bit onto that side and and we handled it very well. I mean, there are a couple of times early where you saw they got us in three V three situations down the left, but there weren't many of them. And if you don't come off on those times, they didn't even come up with big chances. Then it is what it is. Um, look, looking forward, we've got a big match at Fulham uh, next Saturday. It's one where we can take points. Um, not guaranteed Fulham is is going to be tough to break down. We've seen how Marco Silva sets up teams. They're very disciplined. They know exactly what they want to do. I'm sure Marco will have, with a week to prepare, a pretty good game plan against us. But I think if we focus on what we do well, uh, have a decent game plan, individually, they're not that good. Um, so we'll see. Um, we probably won't see as porous a midfield as we saw today. But that's the thing, you know, these are the types of matches where you just want to put yourself in a position to take some points. Hopefully you get them and, and away we go. But I'm going to enjoy this week just riding high off those three points today. That was a lot of
1: fun. Uh, it's so much easier to do the pod after <laughs> matches like this, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It really is. And and I, I really like Nebula's comment just because it does. Like I feel like there's a lot of analysis that of, of post matches that takes place in kind of a vacuum where like you only focus on what your team did and and obviously not here, but it's like, okay, well, like I saw after the Newcastle match, a number of people said like Newcastle are a bad team. Like they're actually a pretty good team and palace are decent, have been a decent team this year, but you take into account the midfield changes, which we've talked about and it did make things a little bit easier for us. And I think that is worth mentioning Fulham, a different animal. um, But I do think, you know, as we said earlier, the next few games are going to be huge. They're against sides that we can and should beat. If all goes our way and we play like we did today, but it does help when opposition are missing key players. No question about it. It does. I kind of wonder, look Gareth Gary Southgate, I think was there today, right?
0: He was. Um, so I like this comment by Joe Thomas at Joe underscore Thomas 18. Um, it was very nice to meet him when he traveled with the team to DC. Um, Calvert Lewin after his goal today. It's every boy's dream to go to the World Cup. I've been counting down the days to get back on the pitch, and all I can do is play the best I can for Everton and score goals and see where that takes me. First and foremost, it's what I do here. I'll tell you what. I mean, he was awfully impressive. Um, He gives them something different, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, but so be it. If that's the motivation he uses and it benefits us, I'm, I'm perfectly content with it. And uh, it was just what a difference makes he makes.
1: He does. And and I'm all for alignment of incentives. And if the incentive for Dominic Calvert-Lewin is to play well, so he gets in the World Cup squad. Well, that means he's banging in goals for Everton. It's all right by me. And we know he's been here long enough and he, he appreciates the club. But it does help to have that little carrot dangling in front of you. Gareth Southgate in the stands, the motivation to perform, to put yourself in the fray, in the picture for a selection for the England squad. Um, it'd be very strange to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin lined up against the United States in the group stage. But, uh, well, we've got several months to go before that takes place. Well, I guess now it's actually not several months. It's like a month. Um, but it's coming fast. Hopefully, Everton can put themselves in a comfortable position with at least a couple more wins before the break. As you say, Ryan, hopefully that kicks off against Fulham next week. Any final thoughts before we wrap this one?
0: Just nice to win comfortably for, for once is a good thing. And it's made my weekend a lot more a lot more enjoyable. But like I said, you know, every time this team, in particular this year, and, and we're in a transition period, if we can pick up some points going into January, I think that's the absolute key. This is the time to do it. Hopefully this can lead us forward and and gain some confidence and start to kind of get our identity going a little bit, because I think this is a decent blueprint to have some success against others.
1: Couldn't agree more Ryan and I think that's a great place to wrap this episode. Thank you everyone very much for listening. I hope you all enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get them. If you want to follow us on social media, you can find the links to all of that in the description of this episode. And just one last reminder to join our Discord server invite.gg/atp. Get you in there. Otherwise, we'll be with you next time. And until then, up The Toffees!